Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. I'm going to be jumping back into the series of the parables that we've been, or the series of Mark that we've been talking about, and I'll be talking about another parable this morning from Mark chapter 4. If you want to follow along, we'll be in verses 1 through 20. And once again, we find ourselves at the Sea of Galilee, right? We see these crowds that have been following Jesus. They're at the seashore. It might look or appear more like our lakeshore. Um... But here's Jesus. He's got all these people, thousands of people who have started following him. They've seen his miracles. They've seen healings happening. They've heard these teachings that are countercultural, and they can just feel inside them that there's something giving life. But at the same time, as Jesus is stepping into a boat because there's so many people pressing in on him, there's crowds are so large that the crowds have pressed in so much that he's got to step into a boat. He looks out and he doesn't just see the people who are happy, right? He doesn't see just the people who want to hear what he has to say, who want to see miracles done. He knows there's some people out there too who absolutely hate his guts. They don't want to hear anything he has to say. They just want to catch him saying something he's not supposed to. They want to be able to pin something on him so that he gets thrown in prison, so that he gets in trouble. And here Jesus is speaking to all these thousands of people from all different walks of life, with different perspectives, right? The religious elite who are trying to trip him up, the spiritually skeptical, the people who are, are hearing his words. They like what he has to say, but they're not sure yet whether they want to pick up their mat and follow him. They don't know if they're ready yet to take that step. And then they have some who are soaking everything up like a sponge, Everything Jesus can give, they want to take in, apply it to the life, and follow him. And he's speaking to these, gra- these crowds that are incredibly diverse, some who are softening in belief and others who are hardening in disbelief. And he knows that as he stands on this seashore, these are the crowds that he's speaking to and these crowds that he gives this parable of the sower to. So what is a parable? Last week, we briefly introduced the idea of what a parable is. A parable... Last week, as we talked about it, is an analogy, right? a, a comparison between two things, typically for the purpose of explanation or clarification. Or you hear analogies weekly um, in our sermons or on TV shows or as you read them in books. Analogies are something that we all understand. We've all come to see and hear in different places. A comparison between two things, typically for the purpose of explanation, or clarification. And we broke that word parable down. Parable, para, meaning beside, and balo, meaning to throw. And it means to throw beside, right? To throw a spiritual truth beside a physical truth so that it could be better understood. The way that I thought about it is the word parallel, right? I think I got a picture for uh, where I kind of grew up, grew up. Yeah, a map of where I grew up. I thought about it running parallel, right? When I grew up, 
I turned, you know, I think 16, 17, I got my license, had this really sweet 83 BMW. Uh, it was free and it was a real work, we'll say. It took a lot of work to keep this thing on the road, but man, to crank the windows down and crank the sunroof open. Some of you remember crank open sunroofs. Um, you know, just blaring Bob Marley or whatever I, you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers, whatever I was listening to at the time, and to explore, right? Learn how to navigate. And I knew on the west, I had 131, and on the east, I had M43, right? And I grew up in parchment. So as long as I kept that in mind, if I go far enough west, I'm going to run into 131. If I go far enough east, I'm going to run into M43, I could travel basically from Kalamazoo to Grand Rapids and not get lost. Because if I got lost, I knew I had a reference point. I could go far enough east and turn south on M43, get back to Kalamazoo. Go far enough west and go far enough south, I'd get back to Kalamazoo, right? It was parallel. Those were reference points that I understood. There was something that was there that I always knew would be there that I could find my way back to and then get back to parchment. That's kind of like what Jesus is doing here with the parables. He's saying words or teaching new concepts that they may not pick up on right away, but then he uses stories that they understand so they have a reference point, right? That physical truth can get them to the spiritual truth. So what Jesus is doing here is very similar to looking at it in the terms of parallels. Parables are also meant to be heard, right? They were meant to be heard. Jesus didn't hand out a pamphlet when all these listeners came up with words on them so that they could look over them and pour over them and try to pull out every little nuance. He was speaking to a group. He was speaking. It was something that they were going to hear once, and hopefully they'd think about it a little bit more as they left. But it was meant to be heard, and it was meant to be heard in a way that was simple, it was a simple way that would uh, produce an immediate reaction. Uh, I think it's great that we have the Bible. <laughs> it's awesome to have the Word of God and to be able to study it. And there are some passages where you really feel like you've got to study it. But the words in the Bible would have been spoken, for the most part. They would have been spoken. And sometimes we can actually overthink things a little bit. And sometimes the parables become those things, but they would have been meant to be heard to produce an immediate reaction and to simplify a principle, a spiritual principle. So an easy way to define parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Right, so as you're reading through the Bible and you come up on a parable and you're wondering, what exactly does this mean? What is the earthly story it's telling? And what is the heavenly meaning or the spiritual meaning that it may be trying to convey. So this morning we're going to look at the parable of the sower. It's found in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, and we're actually going to pick up at verse 3. And it says this, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. 
Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's the parable that Jesus spoke to the, these crowds. These crowds that he knew there's people from all sorts of different backgrounds, some who believed in him, some who wanted to believe in him, some who didn't. And without context, it kind of just sounds like a story about farming. Without a little bit of context of what's going on, it seems like he's just talking about planting some seeds. And if you were somebody who had just shown up on that day, not knowing anything about Jesus or what he had done, you'd probably be thinking, really? There's thousands of us, and he's talking about farming? (laughs) What? But most of the people there would have understood context. They would have understood why they were there. They had a purpose for being there. They knew that Jesus had been doing miracles. Everywhere he went, people were being healed. Lives were being changed. He'd been teaching about repentance, about turning from the old way and turning to the new. He'd been talking about the the imminence, right? The nearness of the kingdom of God. And then, as we talked about last week, he'd been proving his teaching and his miracles were of God and not of Satan. Right? So that's the, the context that this parable enters into. Those people who were there listening would have known that. He would have known that there was supporters in opposition and they would have known all of what Jesus had done so far. And this is where we'd usually stop and we'd pick apart the parable and try to figure out what Jesus was saying. But he's actually going to do that for us in just a minute in verses 13 through, through uh, 20. But before we get there, verses 10 through 12 says this. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, at first glance, it seems like Jesus is saying, I speak in parables to confuse people. (laughs) I speak in parables so that people find it difficult to believe, so that people don't actually know what I'm saying. But that's not really what he's saying here. It's a small, small piece of it. If you go to Matthew's parallel account, chapter 13, verse 10 through 15, it says this. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Right? We've heard this so far. It's the same as Mark's. And he answered them, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have it in abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you indeed will hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. There's a key right there. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would lead them. 
People over time had grown cold to what was being said. They had grown cold to, to hearing God's voice. Right? Over time, they had, they had lost their ability to hear. What Jesus is saying here effectively is the condition of the heart determines our receptivity to the truth. Right? The condition of our heart determines the receptivity to truth. If we desire the truth of the gospel, if we really want to hear the truth of the gospel, if we really want to hear what Jesus has to say, we're going to hear it. We're going to understand it. We'll see, we'll read. It might seem a little confusing. We will at times. It might take work. And although at times it might seem a little confusing, we will understand. However, if we're closed off to the truth, or we want to hear the truth that suits us, we want to hear the truth that is easy to hear, is comfortable to hear, that's not challenging, over time, our hearts will grow harder. Over time, the truth that we hear is the truth that we believe to be the truth and not the truth that Jesus has for us. And then his words do get real confusing. These parables start to make less and less sense when we want to base it simply on our truth. From Matthew's account, we get a sense that receiving truth requires action. Right? Those who act on it, those who act on the truth, who receive the truth, will in turn receive more. Right? They will receive more over time, and those who reject the truth will lose what they already had. And when you think of it in terms of eternity, is that not true? If you're willing to hear the truth, if you're willing to hear what God has to say and apply it to our life, we know that at the end of that is eternal life with Christ. There's just more and more blessing, more and more growth to come. However, if we reject the truth that God has for us, at the end of this life, there's still an eternity, but I can tell you this, it's not going to be as enjoyable. It's eternal separation from God. It's not eternal blessing. It's not eternal goodness. But those who act on and receive the truth will receive more, and those who reject it will lose what they do have. Ultimately, if we are open to the truth, we will hear it. And if we're closed, we won't. Our hearts will continue to grow more and more cold. Jesus goes on to explain what he means in this parable. Picking back up at verse 13, uh, he says this. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. There are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And I think the obvious question, because Jesus pretty much lays it right out there for us. 
doesn't leave a lot of room for interpretation in that. The obvious question is, what kind of soil am I? Right? What kind of soil are we? Are we hard ground, rocky ground, crowded, thorny ground? Or are we good soil? So that's what I want to talk about this morning. What kind of soil are we? Verse 4 and verse 15 represent the hard ground. In in Palestine, they would have had long, narrow fields where they were growing their crops. And in between these fields were paths. And as people walked back and forth sowing a seed, as people walked back and forth going to and from whatever other jobs they had, these paths would grow harder and harder and harder. And as they sowed their seed, most of it would fall where they intended it to, but some of it would fall along the path. And the wind would pick up and blow it away where the birds would swoop in and have a quick, easy snack, and that seed amounted to nothing. Right? The seed that we're talking about or the people that we're talking about are those who hear the word and brush it off or reject it right away. Right? The hard ground represents those who hear the word and, re- and brush it off or reject it right away. Something I've, I found interesting as I was preparing for this and and thinking through this a little bit, is that Christianity fails to make an impact more often not because people are hostile to the gospel, but because people are indifferent. Right? If, If you went out and had a conversation with 10 different people who you knew aren't Christians, most of them are not gonna scream at you. They're not gonna spit in your face. They, they maybe don't want to hear what you have to say, but most people are going to be polite in rejecting it, right? Most people. There's not a ton of hostility. Now, culturally, I'll say there is some hostility towards Christianity, but most people in an individual conversation are going to at least respectfully ignore you. <laughs> More often, it's indifference that leads people to rejecting Christianity. And there's lots of things that can, that can harden our, our hearts, right? Intellect. You know, I don't think it's any coincidence that a lot of atheists are extremely intelligent people, right? People who have figured out how to reason their way out of believing, who have scienced themselves out of believing that there can be anything out there beyond ourselves, that everything had to have started with a big bang and somehow everything that we see was created, Intellect can get in the way of believing in the supernatural. And it's supernatural. (laughs) It's not something we see every day. It's not easy to believe. So sometimes intellect is a thing that can harden our hearts. Habitual sin and lifelong habits. right? Things that, that we have done intentionally or maybe intentionally have just let them become habits and they get in our way of building a relationship with God. Right? Habitual sin or lifelong habits. Deep-seated emotional hardship. Right? Maybe you went through a messy divorce. Maybe you lost a loved one tragically who you didn't get to say goodbye to. Maybe you've been praying for something and it's gone in your eyes. It's, it's been unanswered or wasn't answered the way that you expected or wanted. Maybe it was some kind of abuse in your past. All of those things are things that can cause barriers, can lead us to question God, 
to let us grow, let our hearts grow colder, grow harder. And if you're in that group this morning, my prayer, and I hope your prayer, is that your heart would be softened to receive God's truth, especially if it's the intellectual. Receive God's truth. If you're dealing with some kind of emotional hardship that's built this rocky barrier between you and God, I would pray for healing, pray for restoration. And if it's some kind of sin that you just can't seem to get rid of, can't seem to let go of, I would pray for deliverance for you. Verse 5 through 6 and 16 through 17 talk about the rocky ground. Right? Fields that weren't properly cultivated. Okay? These, these fields more than likely were not cultivated the way that they were supposed to. In, in Palestine, it's pretty hot. <laughs> and it's also very rocky. So there would be a couple inches of soil, and then it would be a rock-solid ground under it. So they'd plant the seeds, they'd get the water, it'd sprout up right away, and then in the blazing heat, those crops would die because the roots hadn't sank down far enough to get the nutrients and the moisture that they needed. This is talking about represents those who have an emotional encounter with God, right? He talked about those who receive my message with joy. Those who have an emotional encounter with God, but don't let the deep truth impact them on another level, right? That level that's spiritual, intellectual, heart. At the greatest commandment, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God's truth should permeate our lives on every level. Our hearts, it should, it should change the things that we care about, the things that we love. It should change our soul in the way that we're devoted to things. Our minds in the way that we look and perceive the different things that are happening. And strength, I think, it comes to represent the things that we do. It should change our actions. It should change the way that we're missional in the world around us. I think back on my, on my ministry, and I think about a lot of different mountaintop experiences, right? Conferences that I've gone to where the speaker was just right, the music was great, and it creates this environment where you're just, you're, it's, it's all this, it just feels like holy richness. I don't know how to explain it other than you're in the moment and it feels just right. Church camp can be that way. As a youth pastor, we would go to camp, and I would see, you know, hundreds of kids would give their lives to Christ, or would make recommitments, and we'd go back, and it wouldn't be four weeks later, and there'd be one of those students wouldn't go to church anymore, was renouncing Christ, even though he had had this incredible encounter, and it didn't really change on a deeper level. Here's the thing. I'm not trying to discredit the emotional encounters that we have in church because they're good. They're necessary, right? That's the heart that we're talking about. It's good to have an emotional encounter that, that causes us to receive the gospel with joy, but we have to let the truth impact us. We have to let our roots seep further down into the ground to impact our lives more than just the surface. A famous evangelist said once, we have learned that it takes about 5% effort to win a man to Christ and 95% to keep him in Christ and growing into maturity in the church. You can create an environment that is rich for initial impact. I've seen it time and time again at church camp where it seems like every kid is coming forward and praying to receive Christ. And then you leave 
and you don't put the work into growing the plant, seeing the roots go deep, and half those kids are back at camp the next year and they forgot that they committed their life to Christ the year before. If you're in this category, I would just pray, let your initial enthusiasm, your initial excitement of accepting Christ, let that permeate every part of your life. Take that same excitement and apply it to heart, soul, mind, and strength. The thorny ground, the crowded ground. We see this in verse 7 and, and again in 18 through 19. It's not ground that's already covered in thorns that they're sowing seed into. People wouldn't have done that. They would have known there wasn't going to be a good return. right? If you sow seed where there's already plants, the likelihood of them blossoming into a healthy plant is small. (laughs) But what they're talking about is where the soil appeared to be perfect, but where there is dormant weeds and things already growing beneath the surface. Right, already other parts or other plants that were going to be fighting for survival, fighting for the same nutrients that those seeds needed to grow. And this soil represents an array of people, right? People who are too busy, people who care too much about the world's perception, people who are more focused on worldly success or worldly pleasure than they are on what success looks like in God's eyes and glorifying God in the things that we do. It represents all of those who have all sorts of different things competing for God's attention in our lives. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And I think there's a lot of other words that you could take wealth out and replace with for each of us. Like, you cannot serve God in achievement. Right? You cannot serve God in influence. You cannot serve God in addiction. You can't serve God in knowledge. Here's a tough one. You can't serve God in family. Right? As a pastor, my number one ministry is to my family, to my wife and kids. That's my number one ministry. I know I care about you all too, but I care about them more. (laughs) They're my number one ministry. But if at any point I begin to reject God's will in order to please my family, then I have competing attentions that's causing my my soil to be more like thorny, crowded ground. And if this is you, my prayer is very simple. God, help me make room. God, help me make room. Not God, make room for for me, right? God, help me make room. Because if you pray that God will make the room in your life, more than likely you're not going to be happy with how he makes room, and you're just going to wind up angry at him. This is something that has to happen in relationship. This is something that we need to be committed to. We have to be ready to make the room pull up the weeds to clear the thorns so that God can blossom in our lives the way that he wants to. Optimal conditions. I think these first three soils, they all represent soil that's not grown in optimal conditions. I think I got a couple pictures here. They're of my, my backyard. There's two pictures there. They look like one, but you know, there's some growth happening. It doesn't look terrible, 
but it doesn't look great either. I got a lot of weeds. Um, there's really nothing blooming yet. So there's growth. This is what happens when it's northern Michigan and there's been snow on your ground for months. Right? It's not optimal. It's not, not terrible, but not optimal. Go ahead and go to the next one. This is also in Michigan, but it's perfect. Right? Perfect conditions. Everything you could wish for, you have. It's climate controlled. It's heated. It has automated, automated shade systems, so they get their exact amount of shade that they need. Every zone has its own temperature-controlled climate, so every flower gets exactly what it needs. Right? These are greenhouses. This is what happens when plants grow in ideal conditions. Right? Just like that last picture, there's maybe a little bit of growth sporadically here and there in less than ideal conditions, but when we create a space for God, it's more than just creating a space. When we give the space to God to say, do whatever you want to with it, this is what you get. Right? This is what you get. You get the growth, the, the fruit that you want to see. And that's the good soil we see in verse 8 and 20. Soil that produces fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Hopefully we can look at ourselves and we can say that our lives represent good soil based on the fruit that we're producing. The truth is, there's probably at least some of us, if not a lot of us, who aren't. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 tells a story where, uh, where Jesus is telling a story. And he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? But the one who does, the one who, who does will, does the will of my Father will. Right? This is a very summarized, simplified version. Many will say, did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do mighty works? And he'll say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. The question is, are we producing fruit? And is that fruit based on a growing relationship with Jesus Christ? Or is it things that we could just do on our own anyways? Is the fruit that's being produced in our lives a reflection of the relationship with Christ that's growing within us? So as we close this morning, I have three steps to understand and and benefit from the word of God, right, the gospel. The first one is, is hear and listen to the message. Make the time and space necessary to hear the words that Jesus is speaking to you. If you don't make the time, you can't listen. If you can't listen, you can't hear what he has to say. It's that simple. Number two, receive it. More than just hearing it, more than just listening to it, we have to actually receive it. We have to let it impact us, heart, soul, mind, and strength. It has to actually impact us. And the third is put it into action. Produce the fruit, right? And if we're not producing the fruit, we have to ask ourselves, why am I not producing fruit? 
Is it because I, somewhere before that, failed to receive God's truth or failed to hear and listen? Or, is, or am I just in a season yet of, of growth before the harvest? Because that's possible too. So let's just take a, a quick second and look at the, big, the bigger picture. When you zoom out from this one parable, the disciples heard this fairly early on in Jesus' message, Jesus' ministry. And then it would have taken a whole new meaning on, well, not a whole new meaning, but a deeper meaning after the death and resurrection of Christ. Right? The disciples received the Great Commission. It says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How much more important? Can you imagine how much more important that last line of that that parable becomes after hearing that? But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and hundredfold. Right. Not only now does this parable help them to see the conditions of the heart, to understand the different soil that's being grown in, but it becomes a promise. Like the expected crop yield back then would have been somewhere around like a one to seven. For every one seed you planted, you'd expect to get around seven things back, seven plants or seven, you know, it produced times seven. You know what I'm saying. God's production, he's saying the the increase is expected to be 30, 60, 100-fold, that much greater. Our mission here at First Baptist Church is making disciples. Make disciples. That's what our mission is. It's the Great Commission. But at times, we're going to plant seed, and we're going to plant seed, and we're going to plant seed, and it's going to look like there's not the results that we are hoping for. Right now, it seems like we're in a moment of fruitfulness, place where we're growing, we're seeing lives changed, and that's awesome. But at some point, there may come a point of plateau. There may come a point where we're still continuing to grow, but individually we're planting seeds and lives of our families and the community around us in different places, and we're not seeing it produce fruit, and we're not seeing it blossom the way that we expected to. But then you have God's word here, and when everything seems hopeless, God promises a fruitful harvest. Right? We are going to plant seed, and sometimes it will seem hopeless. Sometimes it will seem fruitless. But God promises a fruitful harvest. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be here in your house. I'm so grateful that, that you are able to do infinitely more than any of us could do on our own. Because if it was up to me, the harvest would be minimal at best. But you seemingly take nothing and bless it and build it into abundance. I pray this morning for the lives of everybody here as we think about the soil that our life represents, that you would show us how to cultivate it to become a fruit-producing harvest that takes us to be out on mission with you. 
God, we love you. We serve you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.